Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest knows and loves college basketball, despite the fact that he does not always see eye-to-eye -eye with the NCAA. He's part of a great ESPN or ACC network feature, the class that saved Coach K, dating back to his playing days with the Blue Devils. An outstanding college basketball analyst on every ESPN platform that you can imagine. Jay Billis, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Well, David, if you only brought on people who see eye-to-eye -eye with the NCAA, you'd have no show, brother. <laughs> yeah, this, bring is, on. this is true. We're dying to know, Jay, have you ever been able to say to Coach K, we love when you two rib each other. We just want to know, have you ever said, of course, in jest, hey, you just remember, Shashevsky, I'm part of the class that saved your tail. Oh, well, I say it all the time now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we saved you. You know, I carry around a, uh, a life vest with me all the time that I can throw his way. <laughs> the class that saved Coach K. Catch it on ESPN if you didn't see it on the ACC Network. It is really well done and a fun gathering beyond the making of the movie. Uh, or the documentary a little bit after that as well. Before we dive into the college basketball season, just a general question to catch up on your thoughts on the NCAA's promise that it will allow third-party money for these college athletes to benefit from their name, their image, their likeness. I know you're very skeptical about the details. What's the best way to summarize that? Well, that, that they're not going to do it. It's just basically a stall tactic in my judgment that uh, because they said, well, we'd like to um, uh, you know, allow the opportunity for uh, players to benefit from their name, image, and likeness as long as it fits within the collegiate model which is like saying we would like to invite all players to go through a car wash as long as they don't get wet. <laughs> you know, they're not going to allow anything meaningful to the players. And, you know, you hear all the time now, I mean, you read articles every day about, uh, you know, athletic directors and presidents talking about uh, the marketing field as if, that, if they're expert marketers saying, well, you know, no big company is going to give money to a player. And, all, and you're like, okay, well, if they're not going to do it, then why are you worried about it? Um, they're really only worried about acquisition of talent and how, how the players being allowed money is going to affect their ability to bring in players, which is the, 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 the biggest uh, issue in their winning. Uh, so that's why they build these facilities. You know, they, Everybody's building facilities for two reasons, recruiting and performance. That's it. It's not some benevolent gift uh, that, that they're, they're trying to give the players. So uh, do I think that this is a step forward? Yeah, it's a step forward. I mean, it, it just laid bare the fact that, that the NCAA does not act on principle at all. Because if they had principle in this, they would have said, we don't care what California says or does. We believe in amateurism. They don't believe in that. They believe in money. Uh, they just believe in their money and, and not allowing anybody else uh, outside of them to have any, any part of it, meaning the players. Not long ago, you were part of a roundtable with Mitt Romney and other members of the United States Congress. He actually came out of that roundtable discussion saying, we're coming after you, NCAA. Are you a believer that if the NCAA proposal that comes out in the next, whatever, 18 months or so, if it's not acceptable to the United States Congress, then they're going to try to right this wrong themselves? I think so. I, I think Congress will uh, move forward on it. I don't think it will be what anyone wants. Uh, which I guess is, is what what you know legislators do, uh, but it, it'll it'll just be interesting to see. Like I think the NCAA is going to begin spending an enormous amount of money 
uh, in not only in lobbying, which they already do, they'll spend even more. But they're gonna they're gonna take this to court, and they'll spend you know the amount of money the NCAA is willing to spend to keep from letting the athletes have any is really staggering. Uh, but I I think this will play out in the courts as well. So you know we're headed for a uh, you know another sort of long drawn out discussion of this in different venues, whether it be in in the judicial venue, the legislative venue. Uh, and in part the NCAA venue, legislative venue, but uh, but there's no, there's going to be no quick movement here. Yeah, that that that's for sure, and and it's unfortunate. Um, you know, there's really quick movement when the NCAA, meaning the schools and the conferences and the and, and the, the office in Indianapolis, when they can make money, it, there's really quick movement there. But when it's for the players, uh, it's exceedingly slow. The James Wiseman case at Memphis for a little while looked to be the pretty rare example of a school basically being defiant to the NCAA over the eligibility of his pl- of its player. It's kind of fallen into a more traditional bucket now, uh, declaring him ineligible and then asking for reinstatement. What, would, what was your takeaway uh, from that case, given that even with a different model, some folks don't want to see, uh, you know, the guy who ends up coaching a prospect giving the guy t- or his family, you know, $11,500. Yeah, I don't care about that. And it was, a, you know, it's not a, a normal situation where you're going to have somebody who, who becomes a, a head coach that's that's running an AAU program. You have a lot of guys that do that that, that may become assistants later on because of their access to talent. But that stuff happens a lot. I'm not saying, you know, the relocation expenses when it's not better hidden happens a lot because uh, uh, you can get whatever money you want to anybody you want without anybody knowing about it. So if if somebody in this, whether it's Penny Hardaway or anybody else, was trying to get James Wiseman money and keep it a secret, uh, they didn't do a very good job of that, right. and and clearly that wasn't a that was a concern of theirs. Uh, so on one hand, I don't like the rule. Uh, I think the rule stinks, and they ought to change it and allow the players to to you know take what they feel like taking, just like any other student can. If if there was a valedictorian that wanted to relocate, there'd be no problem with a Memphis booster giving, uh, giving that student money, but it is a rule. And as such, um, you know, I said from the beginning, it was a garden variety eligibility case. It's not that it's not that hard to figure out. And I didn't think that any challenge to it would be successful. They could delay it, which is what the temporary restraining order was. But, uh, but I think Memphis finally figured out that they're not going to win this and they weren't going to win it in court. They weren't going to win it anywhere. And the NCAA was going to come down on them with that restitution rule like a ton of bricks, and it wasn't going to be worth the effort. So they're going, as you said, the conventional route. Uh, the problem that, that Memphis has now is the NCAA is going to be put in a position, or they are in a position, of, well, wait a minute. If we cut these guys a deal uh, and, and give James Wiseman less than, uh, than nine games, which is the, the norm on the matrix for something in the $11,000 range, then you're going to have other schools come back on. Wait a minute, you hit a, you you hit our guy with X, and and now somebody else, you know, rattles your cage and you give them less. Like that's not fair. So you're going to have to deal with that. And then I still think it's a possibility the NCAA can open up a separate infractions case on Memphis and maybe even on Penny Hardaway for uh, playing an ineligible player uh, knowingly. So we'll see what happens. Um, the NCAA's gotten so much bad publicity. Uh, I'm not sure that they, they might even be immune to it right now. Uh, so so they, they're probably not worried about getting more. In some years to the court, uh, in some years, it feels like there's that team that has 
five, six, seven, eight future NBA players, and it's obvious, you know, even in the month of November or December. As you look at the landscape right now, Jay, and two different AP number ones have already lost Michigan State and Kentucky. What is going on, and, and is this season, you know, different in some way that you can already tell? Yeah, I think it was different before we got there. Uh, you know, I, th- I said before the season started that I didn't think there was going to be any sort of dominant team or teams and that we were going to have a rotating number one. Didn't think it would rotate this quickly. Um, but we're, we're going we're gonna to see the top five in flux the whole year. Uh, and, and, look, we're going to have – we'll still have a great year. It'll be like 2010 or 2011 where we had a hard time figuring out who the best team was. But we still had – you know, in 2010, Duke and Butler wound up in the final. 2011, it was uh, it was Butler and uh, and UConn. So and so we still had a Kemba Walker and and all that stuff. So we, we could have we could have a year uh, this year where you know you have some crazy tournament where uh, you know all the traditional big shots are down a little bit. You know, like uh, while Duke is, I think Duke is really good, and I think North Carolina's got a chance to be very good. They're not as powerful as they've been. Right. They're just they're good. They're really good. And uh, Kentucky's not as powerful, so so you don't you just don't see a lot of a lot of really powerful teams out there. Um, there are a bunch of teams that have gotten better and leagues that have gotten better. Uh, you know, I, I I've been watching Arizona. I've been blown away by their their freshman talent, but they're still freshmen. But that uh, that kid Zeke Naji, I knew how good Nico Mannion was and Josh Green and all that. I had no idea how good uh, how good Zeke Naji was, and that that dude is legit. And and they've got a chance. Uh-oh, Jay Billis on Twitter, at Jay Billis. Uh, I was coming to the end of my questions, but I did want to ask him since he brought up freshmen. Uh, Cole Anthony, the freshman point guard for the Tar Heels. Great example of two points Jay just made there. Number one, imagine the difference between trying to contend for whatever. First place in the ACC, an ACC title, a Final Four, a Sweet 16, anything. If you're Roy, Roy Williams a year ago, you had two one-and-done freshmen in Nasir Little and Kobe White. You had three moving on quality seniors in Kenny Williams and Cam Johnson and Luke May. So since Jay brought up freshmen there and you were cut off kind of at the end of your uh, Arizona comments, so I hope it's not a, you know, an NCAA sniper after you there. No, no, it could be. Well, that's always, that's always possible, uh, but, but they'd miss. Put, if they had one, they'd miss. <laughs> put in perspective for us, UNC's freshman point guard, Cole Anthony, because you know that right here in our backyard, Zion Williamson was a phenomenon that we don't get to see very often. Nobody is suggesting Cole Anthony is that, you know, on and off the court or even with Twitter followers. But he seems to be an extraordinarily special talent that Roy Williams needs to be exactly that if the Tar Heels are going to chase big things. Yeah, he, he's a freak and, and could very well be the number one overall pick. I mean, he, he's just what, what the game has evolved into, which is, you know, getting up and down, shooting it, putting it on the deck, getting there, uh, and, and he's a finisher. So he's a, he can do everything and play rebounds, plays hard at both ends, you know, dives on the floor. He'll do it all. Uh, so and they're, But they're going to need that because uh, North Carolina doesn't have the same sort of scoring punch that they had last year, and they don't rebound quite as well as they did last year. But they're still good. I mean, they're still going to be good. Uh, so, but it's it's a different kind of year for for Carolina uh, that, than it has been. And I do think that's true of Duke. Although Duke is is deeper and they defend better, uh, and they're probably a little bit more athletic across the board. Um, but they they don't score as easy as they have in some of the past years. But but you know they they've got a lot of time to improve. 
has Anthony Billis been allowed back in the house, or does he get the benefit of home-cooked meals or laundry or anything ever since saying on our show that Dick Vitale was his favorite college basketball broadcaster? I have no idea who you're talking about. I've not, not heard of that person. Very well done. As we let you go, uh, the ACC is mostly described as that top four and then a drop. You know, Louisville, Duke, UNC, UVA, and whatever order you want to put them. Uh, do you agree with that? And then has anyone else jumped out at you so far? Uh, I mean, those four are probably probably the, the, the best teams. I mean, I think Florida State should probably be up there because uh, uh, they're going to be – I think Florida State's going to be among the, the best teams in the league, and they'll be in the top 25 all year long. Uh, they may take a lump here or there like everybody else because there's there's nobody that's going to be that great. But, uh, I mean, what what is it, five or six straight years they beat Florida to start the year, yeah. and, uh, and they looked awfully good. I mean, Florida could not run anything. But then they played UConn, which, you know, UConn just lost a, a game earlier this week that they shouldn't have lost. And then Florida couldn't run much against UConn either. So it might be a Florida thing. Their, their offense doesn't look very good. But it, it will be good by, by the middle of the year. By the middle of the year, Florida will be top 10 good and, and maybe even top five good. We'll call you frequently during the season, man. Thank you, as always, for the visit here on the David Glenn Show. Always, brother. Good to, good to talk to you. Take care. Right back at you. Jay Billis of ESPN on Twitter, at Jay Billis. He is a lot of fun there. Regular tweets. When a college football coach gets some kind of bonus, you know, for winning whatever, eight games or meeting some other threshold, Jay Billis, it's almost a guarantee there will be a Billis tweet. Not enough money to go around in college sports for these youngsters because some athletic director, some assistant coach, some head coach got some big bonus for, in some cases, not even the most – Amazing accomplishments. 1-800-849-2761. Joe Person and Jay Billis are in the books. Colin Kaepernick in the NFL was a worst of the weekend for many. Some of you said it was Kaepernick's fault. Some of you said it was the NFL's fault. I don't think anybody gave a best of the weekend to either party in that off-the-field workout that became a different kind of workout. 1-800-849-2761. Everybody seems to agree that the Carolina Panthers' embarrassing home loss to a two-win Atlanta team was a top contender for worst of the weekend. And many believe that yesterday will be known as the day the season died. Meanwhile, the Panthers, or the Hurricanes are winning again in hockey, three in a row after beating Eric Stahl and the Wild in Minnesota over the weekend. They're in Chicago tomorrow night, back home versus Philly on Thursday. I will see you there at PNC Arena. Kyle Busch is for the second time the king of NASCAR, another popular vote-getter for best of the weekend. Your Hornets, the L.A. Lakers, and the Houston Rockets, led by, among others, Malik Monk and Devontae Graham in the Hornets case, LeBron James and Danny Green in the Lakers case, James Harden and Chris Clemens of Campbell in the Houston Rockets case, a lot of best of the weekend. College football was not very kind to most of the teams in our backyard. Nationally, Oklahoma, it's big comeback to beat Baylor, handing the Bears their first loss, keeping the Sooners' playoff hopes alive. Georgia going to Auburn and beat, beating the Tigers, best of the weekend. App State one big at Georgia State, so the Mountaineers stay on track for a Sun Belt title game again, maybe their fourth title in a row in that conference. Still a shot at a New Year's Six Bowl, remember, if the Mountaineers can get all the way to 12-1 and and Sun Belt championship status. Worst of the weekend included, man, there were not a lot of pretty pictures to choose from. 
in our state, college or pro. Panthers get whacked by the Falcons 29-3. Wake gets crushed by Clemson 52-3. Duke gets annihilated at home by Syracuse 49-6. Carolina lost a close one in overtime at Pitt. NC State was beaten 34-20 at home by Louisville. South Carolina got trounced by Texas A&M. They're missing from the bowl picture entirely. The Gamecocks at 4-7 and seven cannot get there. Duke and NC State and Carolina need strong finishes to get to bowl eligibility. Meanwhile, Alabama has lost its starting quarterback, and many are wondering if this is going to be the year the first in the playoff format that the Crimson Tide falls short of that final four. We're picking over the bones of the Panthers' devastating defeat. We are celebrating Todd Gurley and the Rams, the New England Patriots going to Philly and beating the Eagles, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners. San Fran needed more than just an elite defense to take down Arizona this weekend. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. You want a comeback victory. Oklahoma had a record one over Baylor at the college level. Minnesota had a similar one over Denver in the NFL. Chiefs Chargers tonight will put an exclamation point on week 11. And of course, your thoughts on Colin Kaepernick versus the NFL. I'm not sure we got any closer to a sensible con conclusion on Saturday afternoon in the Atlanta area. I think most people are just bunkered back in whether they loved Kaepernick or hated him to begin with. I think most still feel the same way today. 1-800-849-2761. We'll sprinkle in some college basketball and other things. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe this weekend and what made it that? What was the worst thing you saw? Panthers or otherwise, and what made it that? 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us next on The David Glenn Show. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? H how does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I, I hope it's not awkward. <laughs> um, you know, I hope it's not like a hand-to-hug-to-hand -to -hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him. No hands. I think he's so. a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show. Tyler in Raleigh has the NBA on his mind. Tom in Wilmington has some golf on his mind. Others celebrating the king of NASCAR once again, Kyle Busch, and even his team, Joe Gibbs Racing. He won it all in 2015, Bush did. He won it all this weekend, completing that journey in Homestead to capture his second career Cup Series championship. Your Carolina Panthers are leading the worst of the weekend vote. They got embarrassed on their home field by the previously two and seven Atlanta Falcons. Kyle Allen was bad at quarterback. The offensive line was bad in front of him. The run and pass defense were also bad. We're calling it the day the season died. You can jump in with your best or worst from the NFL, college football, college basketball, NHL, NBA, NASCAR, or anything else that hit your radar over the sports weekend that was. What was the best thing you saw and what made it that? What was the worst thing you saw and what made it that? I'll answer more of your questions questions that I'm getting about the Colin Kaepernick off the field debacle over the weekend that was after some more of your phone calls. Tyler, you're next on best and worst of the weekend. Welcome to the program. Hey, how are you doing? Doing great, man. What's on your mind? Uh, I honestly think the best thing of the weekend was LeBron James embracing Kobe Bryant on the side of the court at the Lakers game. I'm with you. I loved it. Did you watch that whole game or just see the highlights? I saw the highlights. I was watching football all day, but 
man, that was it was almost emotional to watch. It, it was really cool. The Lakers fans were emotional, and LeBron spoke after the game about how important it was. Remember, Kobe was a straight-from-high-school-to-the-NBA trailblazer who, of course, did all of his stuff, what was it, five NBA titles over a 20-year pro career while representing specifically those L.A. Lakers. I've been told that whereas Lakers home games are like Celebrity Central, you know, Jack Nicholson and so many others, that Kobe sometimes comes to only like one game a year so it was important to LeBron and others LeBron of course later became a straight to the high school uh, straight from high school to the NBA guy in his own right and LeBron with Kobe as part of the inspiration 33 points 12 assists seven rebounds and zero turnovers yeah how hard it is for a 6-9 guy to have 12 assists and no turnovers I mean that's like Magic Johnson territory and even Magic didn't have that all that often so LeBron has a double-double Danny Green the former UNC star had an offensive rebound arm extended one-handed dunk that has to be one of the best dunks of Danny Green's life I mean he's a three-point shooter right he's a three and D guy if Danny Green someday somebody makes a tribute video for him that's got to be on it. It was unbelievable. And I think the Lakers, by the way, and I'll let Tyler get to his worst of the weekend. The Lakers at 11-2 and two now have the best record in the NBA. So that's just an objectively speaking standard. Yes, they have the best record at 11-2. and two. Subjectively, like the eyeball test and all the other things, they belong on that short list as well. I don't care who else you have on it. Clippers when you know we're still waiting I think for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to play in the same game but they're both healthy now so they'll get there eventually the Rockets again looked really good this weekend Chris Clemens had 19 points the former Campbell star off the bench James Harden of course and Russell Westbrook getting most of the headlines and understandably so Harden had 49 in a win over Minnesota this weekend. Clemens, seven for 11 field goals, five of nine three-pointers. Five foot nine Chris Clemens from Millbrook High School in Raleigh to Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, and the Campbell Camels. And now a backup that's playing in big games for the Houston Rockets. Pretty cool NBA weekend. The Hornets even won with Devontae Graham and Malik Monk taking turns as the stars on Friday and yesterday i believe it was tyler go ahead with your worst of the weekend my worst of the weekend is the panthers performance against the falcons and to be exact kyle allen yeah and he had a lot of help right i mean one of the i'm trying to think of uh, one of the true font interceptions the panthers are in the red zone it is first down when you are a quarterback who lost two different college starting jobs, mainly because of turnovers. And now at the pro level, even though you've done a lot of really good things, what's the bugaboo been? Turnovers. Ball security when there's pressure in the pocket, but also some nonsensical interceptions. First down in the red zone in a game that already looked like a troublesome game for the Panthers, if it's first down and you don't have something you love, what do you got to do? You've got to throw it away or scramble out of bounds or whatever. It's one thing if it's third and whatever and you're trying to make a play. I mean, the Panthers just looked half asleep early in that game. But you cannot, on first down, hit Trufant, who had kind of jumped in front of, I think it was DJ Moore, in the end zone. You're that close to making it a competitive game, and on first down, you turn it over that way. Kyle Allen did have an offensive line 
that made his afternoon problematic. There's no doubt about that. Left tackle was a train wreck. It was uh, Adrian Claiborne was in his grill the whole day. Greg Little, the left tackle, came back from his concussion issues and was not good at all. Trey Turner made some mistakes. Uh, Matt Paradis has not been Ryan Khalil-like so far at center after he got a big payday. It's a mess on the offensive line. But a lot of Kyle Allen's mistakes, I don't know, maybe a couple of the five sacks and maybe three of the four interceptions were Kyle Allen, much more than they were, you know, the lack of the supporting cast. Appreciate you playing, Tyler. 1-800-849-2761. DG, what do you mean when you say that Colin Kaepernick needs to reach out to the reasonable people when he hasn't been all that reasonable with his words and actions himself. I think everybody knows where I stand on this. I'll give you one example if you really want, want it. The reason that I am not at either end of the spectrum on, on Colin Kaepernick as we debate the workout that was and then wasn't and then was again on Saturday afternoon. If you listen to what the man says, and I know some in America, look out, there's either a rich person complaining about something or there's a brown person complaining about something, and that's enough for you to tune them out. And that makes you a lesser person in my eyes, but let's not live in denial. That is still a major issue in our country for anybody at least who is paying attention. Sometimes Colin Kaepernick is right about something in a way that makes people uncomfortable, including, for example, his thoughts about police brutality. If educated people know that Colin Kaepernick is right about the mistreatment of people of color by law enforcement and even more generally in the criminal justice system. If you don't know that he's right about that, you're simply ignorant. And I don't mean that's to be stupid. I mean, you just don't know. There is a mountain of evidence that Colin Kaepernick is right about it, whether it's something as less extreme as traffic tickets and getting pulled over or more extreme as physical violence at the hands of law enforcement. He's right about his point. He is. Now, you might not like how he goes about complaining about it. You might not have liked that he knelt during the national anthem, etc. Again, I'm not offended by silent, peaceful protests in the same way that many of you are still offended by what he did three years ago as an NFL player. He complicates his good points often by doing dumb things. Again, if you are mad at Colin Kaepernick because he's right about police brutality, that's a you problem. And that's often a racism problem. And it's often a tone deafness issue. And it's often, I don't want to hear it. Why? Well, because people who look like me don't have to worry about such things at the hands of law enforcement or in the criminal justice system. The systemic racism is pointing in the direction of people who don't look like me. So I don't have to worry about it. So, so, yes, I think less of those who tune such things out when Colin Kaepernick is a thousand percent correct about that. But then what does he do? He, for example, infamously wore pig socks. His socks were pigs dressed in police uniforms. You are going the wrong way to steal a line from Planes, Trains, and Automobile, the movie, if you're trying to complain about somebody being treated with prejudice, whether it's systematic racism or bad cop, one-by-one one racism. And again, if you're not sure about that, in my hometown of Philadelphia, they looked at the social media pages of a whole hundreds and hundreds of police officers. About 20% of them had racist and bigoted and hateful and violent things. That's in the public forum 
on their social media pages. So if you want to live in the never-never land where there's no such thing as the bad racist cop, keep living in Playland. Again, I will think less of you for simply denying reality. He's right about these things, and the evidence that keeps coming out underlines that he's right about these things. But the mistake, just as he is scaring NFL owners for the confrontational way that he and his representatives handled the workout over the weekend, the pig socks were essentially painting with a broad brush police officers. And I don't know the number, but let's pretend we live in a world where 80% are doing it the right way and 20% are doing it the wrong way, as those numbers from Philadelphia suggested, right? Although you wonder how many think that way but aren't dumb enough to put it on their social media pages for the whole world to see. I don't know those percentages. I don't claim to know those percentages, but there are bad racist cops out there, period. That's just the reality. If it makes you uncomfortable, again, that's a you problem. But when he paints with a broad brush, what are bad cops doing? They're not treating you like an individual person. They're seeing that you're brown, and they're thinking something bad because you're brown. And they're treating you as a member of a class, and they're treating you poorly as a member of that class because you're a member of that class. Well, what are you doing if you're wearing pig socks? You're portraying an entire group of people in a prejudicial way. Oh, you're a cop, so you must be bad. If you're complaining about the mistreatment of my minorities in this case, in a prejudicial way, you can't, in a prejudicial way, classify cops that way, right? So that's, he, he sometimes shoots himself in the foot. Ignorant people simply don't want to hear when he makes great points that make them uncomfortable. Fair-minded people can be offended by something like pig socks. Same topic. He's right about some things that make ignorant people uncomfortable and racists uncomfortable, but he's being a hypocrite when he portrays all cops in a certain way with his own attire, just as he's complaining against all people of color being treated suspiciously by those bad cops. You can't have it both ways, right? You have to choose your words and actions carefully when you're calling out others for their racism and bigotry and prejudicial behavior. That's just one example. There are others. The Castro t-shirt and otherwise. Colin Kaepernick has a lot of good, valid points that make a whole lot of uneducated, ignorant Americans uncomfortable. I actually cheer him on while he does those things. Our country needs more people to wake up about real issues. Those shoot-yourself-in-the-foot examples, though, are getting in the way of his message, and some similar concepts are playing out as he's complicating his own ability to get another job in the NFL. 1-800-849-2761. Steve and Tom and you want in from across North Carolina. What was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe? And what made it that it was a mostly miserable weekend for the football teams in North Carolina with one huge exception. Could the App State Mountaineers still end up in a New Year's Six Bowl game? There's a fun answer to that one, and we'll give it to you as we come back to your calls. 1-800-849-2761. Next on the David Glenn Show. Roy Williams, welcome yeah. back to the David Glenn Show. Last year, two chains came walking by, and he reached his hand yeah. down and uh, shook my hand and said, two chains. And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. 
we had a good regular season, and I feel like we got a good shot to win it here. There's nothing like winning your first, but I, I got to say that there's probably going to be some vindication and some great comfort in being able to get number two as well. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. That was Kyle Bush from his most recent visit here on the David Glenn Show. He punched his ticket yesterday in Homestead. That is his second Cup Series title. That dude, best of the weekend for many motorsports fans as we come back to your calls. The Carolina Panthers, the runaway leader for worst of the weekend, but the Deacons, the Devils, the Pack, the Gamecocks, and others in college football getting some worst of the weekend votes as well. The Hurricanes and the Hornets among your best of the weekend and a lot of NFL and college football teams to go with them. Your Carolina Panthers losers at home to Atlanta, 29-3 was the final. Virtually everybody not named Christian McCaffrey and Luke Keekley looked bad yesterday, and the Panthers' playoff hopes took a big hit. They are only 5-5, five and five, but they are in a tricky conference in terms of finding a road to one of those six playoff spots in the NFC, 1-800-849-2761. As you might expect, the Colin Kaepernick NFL NFL workout feedback is all over the place. They both have been nominated from various folks uh, for worst of the weekend. I don't think I've seen a best of the weekend for either side so far. You can be next with your question or comment at 1-800-849-2761. Tom in Wilmington has a good example from a little bit off the beaten trail. One other quick thing about Kyle Busch. When I first moved to North Carolina in the late 1980s, and I moved here from Pennsylvania and Miami, which are not huge, huge NASCAR places overall, although the NASCAR season nowadays done, does end right there in Homestead. I remember being told, DG, if you ever get into NASCAR, and I was a sports writer even at you know 20 years old or whatever, I was mostly covering college football and college basketball, I've come to appreciate the fact that our state got the NBA eventually, got the NFL eventually, got the NHL eventually, and of course has been the home to NASCAR all along. I remember being told... It's a shame you didn't watch NASCAR as a little kid because you missed the greatest driver of all time. And I thought that that was the king, Richard Petty, who actually has been a guest many times here on the David Glenn Show, but that's more like in his more mentorship chapter of his career, not his driving. I think his last NASCAR title, the king, Richard Petty, was in the 1970s, so I missed all that. In Philly, you'd, you'd occasionally see like a Daytona 500 or something on TV, but you know, it was just a different world. I mean, ESPN was just being born when Richard Petty was winning, I think, his last NASCAR title at the end of the 1970s. Then I was told, well, you gotta, you gotta follow this Dale Earnhardt guy. And back then, of course, that meant Dale Sr. He won, like Richard Petty, seven Cup Series titles. So I was thinking, man, I just missed Richard Petty, but I've gotten to interview him, and I've heard stories about him. I did get to enjoy Dale Earnhardt Sr. prior to his tragic death, you know, in the car. Dale Jr. has been a guest on our show and was never the NASCAR Cup Series champion, but a popular driver for different reasons and even a popular broadcaster to this day. So I'm thinking, all right, I missed the king as a driver, but got to enjoy his great stories. I caught the end of Earnhardt Sr., and I caught the entirety of of seven-time Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson. Those are the three guys who each have seven NASCAR titles. We also have lived, if you're anywhere near my age bracket, four Jeff Gordon titles and three Jimmy Johnson titles. So I'm thinking, man, I, I, I missed the king, but I've seen all of the other best drivers ever. And this weekend, I know not everybody likes it because what did uh, Kyle Busch used to be described as like the antagonistic snarky younger brother of Kurt Busch 
who had such a big chip on his shoulder that he was often alienating the other drivers. He's a dad now. You know, he's he's still kind of that way, I guess. And he still loves to antagonize his own brother. But he's a more mature version of himself. Brian McGee of ESPN had a great article about this yesterday after Bush punched the ticket for his second title. This is a guy who at this point, you know how there's three different circuits in that portion of the motor sports world? There's the truck series. Like, if you ever go to a NASCAR weekend, the truck series races first, the Xfinity series races second, and then the big race, the Cup Series race, would be last, usually on a Sunday. Kyle Busch has the most truck series victories in the history of that series, 56. He has the most Xfinity series wins in the history of that series with 96, and he's in the top 10 at only 34 years old, most victories ever at the Cup Series level, the top level. And he's a multi-time NASCAR champion. He visits us as a guest, phone guest from time to time. I feel like I have seen at least half of the greatest drivers of all time. And once you get two or more Cup Series titles, I think you automatically qualify for that description. Dale Earnhardt Sr., Jimmy Johnson, and Richard Petty with seven. Jeff Gordon with four. Tony Stewart and some guys that I didn't see a lot of with three. Daryl Waltrip and Cale Yarborough on that list. And now Kyle Busch joins a handful of guys who have two Cup Series championships. He was, for many who love motorsports, the best of the weekend. And at 34, obviously, with a Joe Gibbs racing team that has supported him well in recent years, it's not like he's going to stop adding to those lists as much as he wants to drive on any combination of those three circuits. Tom in Wilmington, welcome to Best and Worst of the Weekend. You have a guest of our show on your mind from the golf world. Go right ahead. David, thanks. Uh, my best is uh, Brendan Todd winning two weeks in a row on the PGA Tour. A young man who's come back four or five years of losing his swing, yeah. losing his game, losing his status, and it's just extra special to me because I caddied for him in <sighs> 2008 and wow. won with him wow. the Nationwide Tour. In Salt Lake City, after his college coach called me and, and asked me to get on his back. That is awesome, man. And I remember Brendan Todd's been a guest on our show because what was his, his PGA Tour breakthrough was, I think, five years or so ago. He won the Byron Nelson, which is even probably more prestigious than these last two. It's not the offseason in golf right now, but it's the time in the calendar that some of the heavyweights don't play as much, right? Um, and some guys play on the European tour instead of the PGA tour. So Brendan Todd, for those who don't know, he played his junior golf at one of my favorite tracks, Preston Wood Country Club here in Cary. He played at Green Hope High School. He was a four-time All-American for the Georgia Bulldogs, including on a national championship golf team at Georgia. So he had his breakthrough on the PGA tour five years ago. And then I think he went three or four years in a row without ever playing in a major or maybe without his tour card, right? So to win two straight PGA Tour events after three or four years, did he have his tour card or just not compete in the majors, Tom? Do you know? Yeah, no, he lost all status. Okay. Yeah, so from 2015, you feel like you might be riding this wave forever to just the bottom kind of falling out, right? To, to getting back to two, two more wins. He's up to three career wins on the big tour. What was he like to caddy for back in the day? 
Well, he was rather serious, and I'm kind of like the opposite. <laughs> so we were uh, we were good, and uh, uh, we won. I remember we won by six there in Salt Lake City, and I just thought, boy, this is going to be quite a run. But things just don't work out like like you want them to for you know for everybody. Yeah, but that's how life was, goes uh, usually. I was so happy and proud with proud of him, and I keep in touch with him via text. And uh, he understands what he's gone through, and he appreciates everything in the golf life and his personal life. Yeah, and he's only in his mid-30s. I mean, some guys, if they're off tour for three or four years in their mid-30s, they or their wife or their business advisor say, you know, it might be fine, time to find your next career. Uh, he's 34 years old and has put together back-to-back wins on the big tour, the PGA Tour. That's Brendan Todd of Prestonwood and Greenhope High School and the Georgia Bulldogs. Forget where I see him. He still hangs out a lot in the triangle. I've seen him face-to-face. I've seen him at some speaking engagements, and he's been a fun phone guest here on our show as well. 1-800-849-2761. Appreciate you sharing that story. Best of the weekend style. We need as much best of the weekend as we can get, given the negativity around the Colin Kaepernick versus the NFL stare down and the negativity surrounding the Carolina Panthers' embarrassing home loss to the Falcons. But also, Wake got crushed. Duke got crushed. NC State didn't get crushed, but lost by two touchdowns at home to Louisville. Carolina lost last Thursday night. South Carolina lost is going to miss South Carolina's Gamecocks are going to miss a bowl game this season, and they have to deal with the mighty Clemson Tigers. It's one thing to be struggling when you're probably about to get your tail kicked again by your arch rival as that arch rival goes 12 0 and plays for another ACC championship and in all likelihood moves on to another college football playoff. Y'all know how that works, right? You can be half depressed that your favorite football or basketball team is struggling as South Carolina football is. It exponentially makes things worse if at the time you're struggling, your number one rival is surging. And that is exactly what is going on at South Carolina right now. A lot of folks wonder if Arkansas, Florida State, and some of the other vacancies are going to be joined by South Carolina. It would cost a significant amount to fire Will Muschamp. I think that's uh, the way it is with most coaches nowadays, but that is an unhappy fan base along with plenty of others here in the Carolinas on the gridiron. 1-800-849-2761. Steve and Apex once in on football this time. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761 on the David Glenn Show. The head devil, David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. All the fans are always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody in another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Okay, we have lines open for the first time in a long time. What was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw in the sports weekend and why? More on the Colin Kaepernick debacle. 1-800-849-2761. Some little guys who deserve a weekend shout-out. And the new betting favorite in Las Vegas for the NFL MVP award. It's someone we know well. Those stories with more of your calls next. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances. And I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon 